Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My name is Crystal, and I am the host of Stories from Palestine podcast, and also a licensed tour guide by the Palestinian Ministry of Tourism. Together with my colleague Salim, we are organizing three 10-day programs this year to discover Palestine. There is still space in the upcoming program mid-March, and also in June and October. We travel around the West Bank, Jerusalem and Jaffa with small groups, maximum 10 people. We provide historical background, we introduce you to the Palestinian heritage, and we make sure that you get to meet a lot of locals. We stay in family-run hotels, and we also spend two nights with Palestinian families. We do some short hikes, easy hikes, and during the October program, you can also join a day of olive harvesting. If you are interested, then check out our website for more information. I will ask Roberto if he can add a link to the show notes of the podcast, but you can also write it down. It is storiesfrompalestine.info. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the only podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history and its people. Your host, Roberto Matza, will bring you guests discussing their relationship with the Holy City. A journey through history, society, feelings, and hopes for the future. Follow the podcast on all social media platforms at Jerusalem Unplugged. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Matza, and today it's with great pleasure that my guest is Professor Mahmoud Awari. Mahmoud is currently a faculty member at Bethlehem University, but he has been the Director General of the Palestine Museum in Birzeit, in Palestine, the Curator of Islamic Collections and Lead Curator at the British Museum in London. He also has been a visiting professor at Birzeit University and a research associate at Khalil Research Centre at the University of Oxford. He is the author of a large number of publications. I just want to mention here his book, Ayyubi Jerusalem, 1187-1250, An Architectural and Archaeological Study, published by Oxford Bar Publishing in 2007. Given the expertise of Mahmoud, today we're going to talk about uh, a period of history which is often neglected by historians in the larger history of Jerusalem, which is the Ayyubi era, the decades that followed the end of Crusader Jerusalem. The Ayyubids, as a dynasty, were established essentially by Salahuddin himself after he conquered the city and then he moved forward. So today we're going to talk about Ayyubid Jerusalem, but also we're going to delve into the question of the citadel, also known as the Tower of David. Well, before we're going to delve into all of this, first of all, Mahmoud, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me on your uh, podcast. And it's uh, really uh, a delight and an honor to be uh, on your uh, podcast. Thank you. Um, you're an accomplished archaeologist. So my first question is very much about your background and your career. Can you tell us a little bit more how you came to be an archaeologist working on Jerusalem, and particularly on the Ayyubid period, that as an historian myself of Jerusalem, I must say that many times I confine to the margins and I know 
that was a wrong choice. Well, uh, the story of me becoming an archaeologist is a long story, but I'll just give you the short uh, version of it. Uh, as a, a young uh, a student in school, I became very interested in, in history and later on in archaeology. So by the age of 16, I, I was uh, very uh, fascinated about archaeology and I wanted to be an archaeologist. So after I finished school, I uh, explored uh, uh, possibilities at universities and found that there is archaeology to be studied. And uh, so I applied uh, to study archaeology at the Hebrew University. Um, and so I uh, gained my first degree, uh, bachelor degree in archaeology, uh, which uh, actually I chose for the classical and ancient periods of Palestine, uh, which was named in the Hebrew University as the land of Israel. Uh, but I noticed, <laughs> I noticed uh, through my, my studies uh, uh, that uh, uh, the name Palestine hardly uh, comes uh, to, to be mentioned, uh, uh, and nor the people of Palestine. And uh, most uh, studies were uh, concentrating on uh, Jewish history. Uh, so it was quite uh, nationalistic in, in those days. Uh, we are talking about uh, mid-70s, uh, mid late 70s, at the Hebrew University. Um, so I was very, very uh, disillusioned uh, about uh, archaeology, but I found that that it's possible to actually um, concentrate or specialize uh, on Islamic and Arab uh, archaeology. Uh, although I was interested very much uh, of the Phoenician culture, and I wanted actually to, to pursue my studies and specialization in Phoenician, uh, uh, Canaanite and Phoenician civilization, but I found myself uh, drifting uh, slowly by slowly uh, by the force of uh, the politicization of, uh, of archaeology in Israel and the, and the focus on biblical archaeology to actually really uh, uh, try to uh, tip that balance and maybe concentrate on or focus on the uh, Arab and Islamic uh, periods uh, in, in the country. And so that was it. Uh, and then I, for my master's degree, I started um, uh, becoming interesting in the, is interested in the Islamic period. Uh, and so I went to London to do uh, my master's degree in Islamic uh, uh, art and archaeology. Uh, and I continued further with my PhD at the uh, University of London School of Oriental and African Studies to uh, to do um, yeah to do archaeology Islamic archaeology and that's when I chose to work on the Ayyubid uh, uh, architecture and archaeology uh, in Jerusalem. Before we're going to talk about the Ayyubid, of course, your work on the citadel. I'm curious about your work as an archaeologist. You already mentioned uh, you know sort of a nationalist uh, version of archaeology that uh, is, is very common in Israel. Perhaps there have been a number of changes from the 70s onwards, but I still believe that there's a lot of uh, uh, nationalist rhetoric, particularly in terms of uh, what is hoped to be found, uh, which many, uh, obviously, many excavations are basically start with the very purpose to prove the existence of ancient Israel, particularly the kingdom of David. But again, you know, that's only one side of, of the story. So I'm curious about how do Palestinian archaeologists work around Islamic uh, Jerusalem and Palestine at large. What are the challenges that Palestinian archaeologists have to face in relation to this particular historical period? Well, uh, there are many uh, challenges uh, uh, that uh, faces the Palestinian archaeologists to study the Islamic uh, uh, period. Uh, first of all, I mean, there is total... Uh, control of uh, the archaeological field in Jerusalem. Palestinians are not allowed to excavate or uh, in in uh, anywhere in uh, in Jerusalem uh, independently from the Israeli institution. There are some Palestinians from Israel who work in the Department of Antiquities or Antiquities Authority uh, who are actually part and parcel of uh, Israeli archaeology, but. Uh, Palestinian archaeologists uh, uh, who actually have done any work in Jerusalem, they, they actually focused on the architectural uh, fabric of the old city of, of, uh, of Jerusalem, uh, which was uh, 
uh, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, half uh, independent uh, than Israeli archaeology. Uh, although it is uh, East, East Jerusalem, as we all know, it is under Israeli uh, military and uh, civilian control, but uh, the old city of Jerusalem and especially the old uh, uh, part of the uh, of the ancient city is under the control of the Palestinian Waqf uh, uh, institution that allows a sort of a, a marginal uh, freedom to do research on uh, on the uh, Islamic uh, monuments in the old city of Jerusalem, particularly in the Haram uh, al-Sharif. Uh, but uh, to excavate, uh, the Palestinians are not allowed, and they haven't been excavating uh, uh, in Jerusalem uh, to differ from uh, Palestinians excavating in uh, the West Bank and uh, Gaza. So there are many challenges. Uh, I myself, uh, I'm a Palestinian with an Israeli uh, identity card. Uh, I uh, have studied at the Hebrew University. So uh, uh, so um, I have more, I would say, I feel I'm more uh, uh, privileged than my colleagues in the West Bank at Birzeit and Bethlehem Universities. Uh, so I can actually go freely and uh, and do uh, research. And this is what I did, for example, in the old city of Jerusalem during my, my project, which was uh, my PhD project on the um, uh, monuments of the Ayyubid uh, period. Uh, then I actually embarked on another project, which is the Citadel of Jerusalem. So uh, I, I, I was uh, uh, allowed uh, uh, through my own connections with some of my uh, Israeli colleagues uh, to, uh, to actually uh, go into the Citadel, uh, meet people and, uh, and show my face. And so I was allowed to, uh, to do uh, that research uh, at the Citadel of Jerusalem. So there, there, so there are uh, challenges, particularly the, uh, you know, the poli uh, political reality on the ground doesn't allow uh, Palestinian, uh, free Palestinian uh, um, archaeological activity in Jerusalem. You mentioned earlier, uh, and I had a few guests on the podcast discussing uh, biblical archaeology. And I was wondering if there's a conflict between biblical archaeology and archaeologists and uh, those who work on the Islamic heritage, uh, and so we may call them Islamic archaeologists, or there are point of contacts, or, you know, I, I don't know much about this relationship. I know that they obviously exist and they are parallel to each other. Well, the way I see uh, biblical archaeology, it's, uh, it's a, um, a form of a discipline that was that developed in... Uh, in fact, in Europe, late 19th century, uh, and then continued during the 20th century, and it was adopted by many Israeli archaeologists. It's a form of archaeology that uh, uses uh, the Bible as uh, a legitimate uh, uh, and viable uh, 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 historical source in order to uh, explore archaeological sites. So it started by... Uh, the desire to uh, come to Palestine and verify uh, the events and the places that mentioned uh, in the Bible uh, on the ground. And, and as a result, uh, it was uh, only intended uh, to do so. And as a result, many archaeological sites uh, that we understand about their history and archaeology that comes from a, a, a biblical uh, point of view rather than from actually exploring uh, the site itself with its uh, material culture and the people who actually live there. Uh, Islamic archaeology, on the other hand, it's an archaeology of uh, the Islamic period or Islamic periods, uh, starting from early Islamic period with the Islamic conquest of, uh, of the Near East uh, until uh, early 20th century with the end of the Ottoman uh, period. So we are talking here about a period. We are not talking about uh, using uh, the Islamic uh, narrative or scriptures uh, as it is done in biblical archaeology in order to verify places are related to the Quran or related to any Islamic uh, uh, existence in these uh, sites. And uh, and so therefore, uh, Islamic archaeology it deals with the uh, material culture uh, of uh, of those periods, 
uh, without being uh, without privileging one uh, ethnic group over the other. So, for example, uh, if we take Palestine in the early Islamic period, uh, from the seventh until the uh, the arrival of the uh, of the Franks uh, in the end of the eleventh century, Palestine was a multicultural uh, country with uh, uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims uh, live together uh, side by side. And the archaeology of this period, for example, it deals with the material culture of all ethnic uh, and religious groups living in that, uh, in that particular uh, country or region. So that is the difference between biblical archaeology and Islamic. Islamic archaeology is not religious uh, and is not based on uh, any uh, religious uh, uh, writings or scriptures, uh, while biblical archaeology is based on uh, the Bible as, uh, 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 as a historical source. Thank you. I, my question was very much thinking about those that sometimes you know, look at archaeology only in terms of claims, which are obviously made on on a daily basis, uh, you can find uh, archaeological news coming out of Israel literally every single day. Uh, I, and, you know, I can I, I follow some uh, uh, Twitter accounts and, you know, they keep reporting this has been found, this has been discovered. And, of course, often behind those uh, discoveries, there are political claims of ownership over a place rather than another. Uh, I want to ask you something uh, exactly about this. You wrote a uh, an article which I found amazing, and it's very much about uh, the citadel, uh, which is the object of my next few questions. But you talked about cultural appropriation. So I was wondering, how does it work, cultural appropriation in relation to archaeology? Well, continuing from uh, uh, my explanation about biblical archaeology, it's, uh, it is done, of, uh, of course, for a purpose. And the purpose is to lay claims on uh, those uh, sites that have been investigated and explored and excavated, of course. Uh, and so uh, uh, a site uh, like the Citadel of Jerusalem is one of those sites uh, that, uh, that it was uh, uh, after 1967 when uh, Israel occupied East, East Jerusalem. So it controlled the Citadel and the uh, um, uh, had uh, the intention of uh, transforming it into uh, uh, an archaeological museum, uh, a museum that will tell the history of, uh, of Jerusalem. And for that purpose, it uh, carried out, uh, various uh, Israeli institutions carried out uh, uh, long uh, excavations uh, for the purpose of uh, preparing uh, the monument uh, for a museum and the museum will tell the history of Jerusalem uh, from uh, only an Israeli-Jewish uh, uh, point uh, of view, uh, focusing only on the biblical history of Jerusalem uh, and uh, the site, uh, which is the, um, uh, uh, the um, uh, citadel uh, of Jerusalem. And so um, doing so, uh, uh, it 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 uh, it it aimed at uh, actually uh, putting a uh, uh, a claim uh, on the citadel itself as a Jewish monument. That uh, that is why it had to do the uh, the few uh, or numerous uh, uh, things. First of all, they changed the name of of the site itself uh, uh, from uh, the citadel. In Arabic is the Qala, which is the citadel, uh, which has been, uh, has a ne that name for the last uh, nearly 1,000 years since its establishment uh, uh, until, uh, until the arrival of Israel. And people in, Jer in Jerusalem uh, call it Al-Qala uh, until um, uh, recently. So first of all, changing the name into the Tower of David and the Tower of David Museum. And the name itself, it was actually given uh, uh, as part of a legend uh, by actually by Christian uh, uh, pilgrims who came to Jerusalem in the uh, in, in the sixth century 
and uh, somehow believed that the building was related to uh, uh, to uh, to David. And since then, uh, it was mentioned in Arab sources that particularly uh, in medieval times, like 12th or 13th and 14th century, uh, there was a tower there, which was named uh, 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 Tower of David. But the monument itself, it is a citadel. And therefore, Israel, by doing that, by changing the name, is appropriating uh, the building. Plus, and then that's the second thing, is the interpretation of the building itself. Uh, it, it actually con- focused on the uh, so-called uh, uh, biblical uh, 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 part of the story of the building by the name uh, David, contributing it to, the, uh, to, to King David. And secondly, uh, also uh, bringing in uh, Herod uh, and the Hasmoneans uh, that were related they had some activity, of course. Herod uh, he built uh, this tower uh, in in the citadel that was called the the uh, the Tower of David. In fact, it was uh, a mistake to call it a Tower of David by those uh, uh, Christian uh, pilgrims, but also by uh, modern modern time Israelis. There's no connection between David and that particular tower. The tower was built. Uh, 1,000 years after David uh, by Herod in the first century BC, BCE. And so uh, by uh, interpreting uh, the building as related to uh, part of, uh, of this uh, Jewish biblical uh, 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 history, uh, there it, it is clear that uh, Israel wants to appropriate uh, this building to become part of... Uh, uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, national uh, national uh, heritage, and this regard, uh, the connection of uh, of this uh, monument uh, to the city of Jerusalem in the last uh, one thousand years, uh, in which uh, it played a very important role in the uh, in, in the social, economic, uh, and political life uh, of of Jerusalem and the people. Uh, of Jerusalem. So this is actually a clear uh, uh, example of how Israel, by laying claims on this monument, it actually appropriated it, uh, not only as a symbol of uh, Jewish history in Jerusalem, but also in the uh, in the modern uh, um, uh, uh, you know modern life of the state of Israel. They use it as a place uh, of national uh, uh, national uh, uh, and political. Uh, events uh, like uh, the uh, the commemorating the uh, unification of Jerusalem uh, uh, and uh, uh, arra- uh, you know organizing various uh, political rallies uh, by Israeli politicians in that in that monument. In December 2022, um, people noticed that the uh, the crescent moon on top of a minaret at the uh, Tower of David site was removed. And so people began to question whether it was uh, just as a result of the uh, uh, works that are undergoing the area, or in fact it was like part of a larger project also to Judaize uh, the uh, citadel. Uh, I was just wondering your take on this um, current episode. Well, I am, uh, uh, you know, my take on it is, uh, is, uh, is that uh, uh, it could be deliberate and it could be coincidental. I'm not really uh, sure of that. Uh, but uh, uh, many mosques um, in, uh, in Jerusalem and uh, in, in Palestine in, in general, uh, they have uh, this uh, uh, device on top of the minaret, uh, a metal device that uh, meant to uh, prevent the impact of, uh, of lightning. Uh, and, and so, and as a... Uh, as an emblem, uh, they use the, the, the crescent uh, uh, sign uh, to uh, designate uh, the, uh, the religious character of, uh, of the building. So I am not aware of um, what, for what purpose uh, uh, this act was done. Yeah, a lot of articles have been written and they're all like unclear about it, but certainly people noticed because it was a very visible symbol, particularly standing out of uh, Jaffa Gate and, uh, uh, you know, just driving also in front of it. 
but, but let me just add uh, add uh, one point that uh, it's uh, it's quite uh, curious uh, to notice that uh, uh, that the um, uh, before 1967 or between the period between 48 and and 67 uh, the uh, Israelis um, uh, started to use the symbol of uh, of the uh, of the of the Tower of David uh, is from the, its original um, uh, tower, uh, which is the square uh, tower where which the, that Herod built in the first century BC, uh, and uh, confused it with a minaret uh, that was built uh, by the Ottoman governor of Jerusalem in the seventeenth uh, uh, century. So there was a confusion. Uh, uh, how could be a, a minaret uh, could be a symbol of a Jewish symbol? Uh, uh, so that is another anomaly uh, in this uh, issue of the citadel of Jerusalem. And in terms of the uh, symbology, I always found it amazing that walking from Jaffa Gate. I mean, again, you know, standing outside Jaffa Gate, the the tallest, uh, most visible symbols are, are basically, if you're in front of Jaffa Gate, on the left is the Vatican flag uh, flying out of the uh, Latin Patriarchate and, of course, uh, um, you know, the minaret. And so it's kind of like very interesting and showing also all of the various layers of the city. I want to bring you to uh, sort of the main focus of your work, which is obviously the citadel. You already mentioned some uh, historical uh, information about it. But I really want to take you back from the beginning. So when was it built? What was the purpose? And who are the people behind the citadel? Uh, this is a, a very big uh, question. So I would like to answer it uh, briefly. Uh, well, um, I embarked on uh, a project to um, really trace uh, the historical and architectural development of, uh, of the citadel. Um, First of all, I mean, there are uh, two phases for the two major phases for the development of uh, of the citadel. First is uh, is the existence of uh, various uh, 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 remains of fortifications on the site of the citadel, dating back. Uh, the earliest uh, is uh, uh, from uh, uh, the Hellenistic uh, times, uh, let's say the second uh, uh, century BCE. Uh, where the Hasmonean dynasty uh, rulers uh, built uh, 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 or fortified uh, the uh, the line of uh, of the uh, of the wall of Jerusalem by building uh, uh, two towers, uh, and then later on Herod continued uh, to fortify this line of fortification or uh, uh, the western side of the city by building three towers. That were uh, that were uh, actually uh, uh, excavated. So there are two towers uh, from the Hasmonean and the Herodian, uh, which is the Hellenistic and Roman times, uh, plus the the so-called uh, Tower of David, which is the uh, north uh, eastern uh, tower, which is still remain until now. Uh, uh, so uh, in this place, uh, in fact, uh, later on. Uh, although it was uh, used by in the in the in the Roman and Byzantine times, uh, uh, later on uh, in the 11th century, contrary to uh, uh, what uh, some archaeologists believe, uh, the Seljuks who occupied Jerusalem, who conquered Jerusalem in 1072, uh, decided to build a citadel. So this is actually the first citadel. Uh, that was built uh, on the site of uh, uh, an amalgamation of Hellenistic, Roman, Byzantine uh, uh, fortifications. On these ruins, a new citadel built by the uh, new uh, rulers of Jerusalem, uh, the Seljuks, uh, who actually ruled Jerusalem only for 28 years until the arrival uh, of the Crusaders. So um, this and this is where a, a second phase of the citadel begins. Begins with the uh, arrival of the Seljuks, uh, who were not Arabs and who decided to fortify themselves within a citadel, uh, a fortress uh, inside uh, inside the city with a hostile 
population because the uh, uh, Palestinian population of the of, of of Jerusalem rebelled several times against uh, uh, the the Seljuks, and therefore they had to build a a, a citadel. Uh, this citadel uh, was uh, taken over, was conquered by the Crusaders, who actually uh, continued to use it, but also developed it. And uh, and when the Crusaders were, uh, uh, in fact, uh, were defeated by Salah al-Din, uh, the Ayyubid Sultan, uh, he continued to uh, uh, fortify uh, the citadel until the Mamluk times. In Mamluk times, uh, the Mamluks decided actually to rebuild the whole of the citadel, and uh, to um, uh, and that's why they actually uh, rebuilt uh, the whole para- uh, parameter walls and uh, new uh, new uh, towers. And this uh, continued uh, also in Ottoman times. Uh, Suleiman the Magnificent, the Ottoman Sultan. Uh, refurbished uh, the the citadel uh, itself with new uh, uh, segments, uh, including uh, a very uh, embellished uh, uh, gate uh, on the eastern side. And there are plentiful uh, Ottoman inscriptions to uh, indicate uh, these uh, various additions uh, by the Ottomans. So this is a very quick uh, uh, rundown of uh, the history of uh, of the citadel. So, the, in in uh, I mean, in brief, the citadel of Jerusalem is a monument to Islamic military architecture, uh, which is like uh, many other citadels that were built uh, in uh, near eastern cities or Levantine cities, uh, uh, like uh, the citadel of Damascus, the citadel of Aleppo uh, in Cairo, and so on and so forth. So it is a monument uh, to Islamic military architecture, and it is called Al-Qala uh, in Arabic, which is the, uh, the citadel. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, there's a lot of stuff obviously there and I would be curious to unpack more, but uh, I want to keep going with some of the question because again, the focus of your work, it's the Ayubid period of Jerusalem. You just mentioned that obviously also the role of the citadel in this particular period. I must say that I was also fascinated by the fact that you mentioned uh, the brief 
period of uh, rule by the Seljuks, which is, uh, I would say, more often than ever, completely forgotten uh, by historians. And certainly in any chronological history of Jerusalem, it might be mentioned in a couple of pages. Uh, and yet they were there and they too added uh, their own bit of history to the city. Can you tell us something a little bit more about uh, the Ayyubid? Who were they? And obviously how to came to rule Jerusalem? And perhaps a little bit more about the general contribution uh, to the history of Jerusalem, uh, you know, just uh, outside the citadel. Well, uh, the Ayyubids uh, are a dynasty that, uh, uh, in fact, uh, were in the service uh, uh, of uh, Nuruddin Zanki, uh, who was uh, a vassal sultan uh, of the Abbasid uh, Empire in Syria. Um, so the uh, the Zengids, uh, who's uh, who actually uh, first began a a, a struggle against the presence of uh, Crusader principalities and kingdoms in in the Levant, uh, was continued by uh, a young uh, officer in the uh, in the Zengid army who called who was called Salah al-Din, and he uh, in fact. Uh, uh, was uh, a charismatic leader who, uh, uh, after the death of uh, uh, Mahmoud Zinki, uh, rose to become uh, a powerful sultan and, uh, in fact, uh, uh, managed to uh, take over uh, the rule of, uh, of uh, Bilad al-Sham, which is greater Syria and Egypt, and um, Unify all these regions under his rule and called it the Ayyubid uh, uh, state, which was a confederation of various uh, principalities uh, ruled by uh, his his family. So Salah al-Din uh, took over uh, the banner of the struggle against uh, Crusaders, and uh, in a very short time, uh, in almost uh, uh, a decade and a half, uh, he managed to uh, mobilize. Uh, uh, both uh, the uh, uh, the various resources that he had under his control in uh, Syria and in uh, Egypt, and managed to defeat uh, the Crusaders uh, and the Franks in in the famous Battle of uh, uh, Hattin uh, or the Horns of Hattin near Tiberias in 1187, and uh, that opened the way for uh, for his conquest of Jerusalem and the rest of Palestine. Uh, and in fact, he wiped out uh, the uh, Latin Kingdom of uh, of, Jer of Jerusalem. So, as a re as a result, uh, and and of course, as part of the uh, of the of Salah al-Din's propaganda was the uh, the liberation of Jerusalem from uh, from the Franks, and that was his aim. Uh, 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 in uh, in the struggle against uh, the Crusaders, and so when uh, the Ayyubids reached Jerusalem in October uh, eleven eighty seven, they began uh, with a, uh, a really very ambitious uh, project in order to restore the city of Jerusalem and uh, to to restore it to Islam and Islamic uh, worship. And so they uh, destroyed uh, many of uh, the buildings that were erected by uh, the Franks uh, within the Haram al-Sharif uh, and in some parts of the old city of Jerusalem. And they used some of these buildings, but they built a new uh, uh, buildings in order to, uh, in fact, reinstate uh, Islam and Islamic faith uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem. So we witness uh, uh, during... Um, a period of uh, of nearly uh, uh, sixty uh, over sixty years of Ayyubid rule in Jerusalem, uh, that many buildings were established. We're talking about dozens of buildings were established. These buildings were uh, they uh, uh, you know range from uh, civilian buildings, uh, religious building, uh, social welfare buildings. Uh, so, for for example, uh, the whole of the Haram al-Sharif area was restored, including the large and the most important buildings, the Dome of the Rock, the Aqsa Mosque. Uh, these two buildings, they were, uh, they were used as churches, and they were, uh, in fact, remodeled 
to uh, to their original uh, uh, state, which is to serve Islamic uh, Islamic worship. And new buildings and domed uh, structures were built in the Haram Sharif, uh, like the uh, the Dome of the Ascension, uh, the Dome of uh, Musa, uh, the Dome uh, uh, of uh, 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 or many other many other domes. I don't want to go into details, but uh, this is actually um, the, the the monuments, the Ayyubid monuments in Jerusalem was the subject of my uh, field research uh, for many years in Jerusalem. I in fact uh, uh, identified uh, these buildings, uh, so um, I uh, organized or I carried out. Uh, uh, a survey, an architectural survey of all these surviving monuments uh, in uh, in Jerusalem uh, uh, and its uh, uh, environs. Uh, so all in all, I have 22 buildings in my catalog of these buildings and we range from uh, mosques, uh, uh, madrasas or theological schools, uh, uh, systems, uh, water projects, uh, uh, porticos in the Haram Sharif, and uh, main and and the fortifications of the old city, the city walls of Jerusalem that the Ottoman uh, walls today actually rest on uh, on Ayyubid uh, foundations. And so, uh, so Salah al-Din himself was uh, 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 a very um, uh, he was a uh, quite uh, active in. Uh, the rebuilding uh, uh, project uh, of the Ayyubids in Jerusalem. Uh, second to him was Al-Mu'adham Isa. He was uh, his nephew, uh, who actually was the governor of uh, Palestine and southern Syria uh, uh, after Salah al-Din's uh, death. Uh, uh, Al-Mu'adham Isa is known to be the one who actually fortified, uh, the refortified the city walls and built a new line of uh, of uh, uh, fortification on the southern side uh, of the old city uh, of Jerusalem. Ironically, he he actually destroyed them, uh, or uh, in fact, uh, it created uh, many breaches and 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 these fortifications. A few years later, uh, who was uh, in in uh, uh, in fear of the arrival of a new uh, fresh uh, crusade. Uh, to take over over Jerusalem, but this crusade never uh, actually uh, uh, succeeded to arrive in Jerusalem. So he was a builder of the walls of Jerusalem. So anyway, the uh, the Ayyubids uh, introduced uh, uh, quite uh, uh, very significant changes uh, into uh, the city of Jerusalem. It changed uh, its its face architecturally and uh, and uh, uh, the actual. Um, Urban uh, 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 planning was uh, was were changed by the Ayyubids, uh, but they have a significant impact on other aspects of life in Jerusalem. They established the Waqf, uh, which is uh, the endowment institution uh, that we know in Islam, which is a, a charitable uh, uh, institution, which is uh, allowing uh, uh, many uh, of the building buildings and monuments and uh, whether they are uh, religious uh, or educational or social and welfare uh, 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 institutions to be supported by properties and lands and uh, uh, or the revenues from these properties and lands and, and from agriculture supported all these institutions and this uh, system of the endowment system uh, continues in Jerusalem until today. It was established by uh, uh, by uh, the Ayyubids, and in fact, uh, the Ayyubids also were in, uh, responsible for for actually restoring uh, the um, the demographic uh, uh, structure of Jerusalem that we see today. Uh, they, uh, I mean, after many years, uh, almost a century of uh, the Jewish community was not allowed to live in Jerusalem. Salah Hadin allowed uh, Jews to come and settle in Jerusalem. Uh, all Christian uh, churches uh, were allowed to uh, to operate and uh, to build uh, uh, new uh, churches and new places of worship. So, uh, uh, so Jerusalem became again a multicultural uh, 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 city 
And that is thanks to Salah al-Din and uh, the Ayyubids. And these are just a few of the changes uh, that the Ayyubids, uh, the Ayyubids have introduced in Jerusalem. Actually, I really wanted to ask you about uh, sort of the demographic picture of Jerusalem, because obviously with the end of the Crusades, we have, a, uh, again, an, another uh, occasion where Jerusalem is kind of like depopulated and repopulated by new slate of people. Uh, do we have a sense uh, where these people were from? Uh, I mean, is there like uh, a group that is uh, already indigenous uh, of Jerusalem that kept simply living between the two periods? Or there are people coming from Palestine or outside Palestine? Oh, that's a very interesting question. I think uh, this uh, this issue of the demography of Jerusalem uh, under the Ayyubids, it's, um, it's, it's quite... Uh, uh, complex issues, and uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, part of uh, of the actually the population were indigenous who were living in various parts of Palestine, uh, such as in Nablus area and in Hebron area, who actually were Jerusalemite themselves, and uh, uh, they came back to uh, reside uh, in uh, in uh, Jerusalem uh, after. Uh, the departure of uh, of the Franks. Uh, another group, actually, there were refugees from uh, Jerusalem and from uh, various parts of Palestine. They were actually in Damascus, who, uh, after uh, perhaps three to four generations, uh, decided to uh, return to Jerusalem. Uh, but including um, also various uh, uh, Christian uh, 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 groups and uh, and Jews who were actually uh, some uh, uh, Jews started going back uh, to uh, to uh, Jerusalem, uh, uh, especially when Salah al-Din allowed allowed that. And many Jews who actually uh, uh, who lived in Spain at the time uh, decided to return and live in, in Jerusalem and various uh, other uh, uh, Jewish communities who were living in Safed or Tiberias. Uh, they decided to come and uh, gradually uh, to come and live in Jerusalem. But a large uh, segment of the population came with Salah al-Din, and they were not indigenous. They were, uh, they came with him uh, from uh, as far as Kurdistan uh, and as far as Mosul uh, in Iraq today, uh, who actually were part uh, of, uh, of his army, who were officers in his army, and uh, and they came with their families and resided in Palestine, but also including uh, including Jerusalem. So we know from historical sources, uh, including uh, epigraphic uh, material, inscriptions that uh, uh, were found on some of the monuments, um, we can tell that uh, many um, uh, Kurdish uh, uh, families uh, came and, uh, in fact, and settled in uh, in Jerusalem and in Hebron, particularly. And even until today, uh, there are names of families uh, who are now Arabized and Palestinized, if I may say so. Uh, we can trace their origins to Kurdistan. Like, for example, in, uh, in Hebron, the name Jabari. Uh, the, this is actually a, uh, a Kurdish family who came from the castle of Jabar in Al Jazeera in, uh, in Syria. And also in Jerusalem, there are a number of families who actually still bear uh, uh, Kurdish uh, Kurdish names. So we can tell, we can say that the Jerusalem's uh, population and demography of Jerusalem at the time of the Ayyubids was multicultural, multi-religious, and uh, and that in itself, uh, uh, you know, continued to 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 be uh, the case in in later periods. And that is when, in fact, uh, Salah al-Din had actually uh, laid uh, uh, the grounds for uh, for this uh, demographic uh, structure until uh, almost uh, the end of the Ottoman uh, period. The demography of Jerusalem is always fascinating because you get to see people leaving for a variety of reasons. I'm not here to judge good or wrong, but certainly then being repopulated by the other group of people and the, the constant uh, historical build-up of, of these communities. I for, sorry, I forgot to mention uh, also other uh, uh, groups of people 
uh, uh, that were encouraged groups of Muslims who were encouraged to come and live in Jerusalem after the uh, the reconquest of Jerusalem by Salah al-Din uh, from Central Asia. So we have from Uzbekistan and uh, from uh, Turkmenistan and from Afghanistan as well, uh, where in time that uh, they were encouraged to come and live in Jerusalem, but also from North Africa. So uh, during the time of Salah al-Din, a whole quarter of Jerusalem uh, called the Maghribi quarter, uh, Maghribi, uh, named after the Maghrib, uh, which is uh, uh, Morocco today, or North Africa, uh, a whole uh, uh, quarter was built uh, during the time of uh, Salah al-Din's uh, son, uh, Al-Afdal, uh, and, uh, and this, uh, you know, this quarter continued to, be ex- to exist in Jerusalem until 1967, when Israel decided to actually uh, ethnically uh, cleanse uh, the old city of Jerusalem. And many of uh, the residents of the Magariba uh, quarter, uh, especially including the area in front of the Western Wall, were cleared and they were, uh, they were moved uh, and expelled from the old city. This is a topic we, uh, here at the podcast, I discussed with um, a number of scholars, obviously Nazmi Ajube, uh, Vincent Lemire, a French scholar who wrote, uh, and he, right now just published a book about uh, the Mugrabi Quarter, and, and myself, because I work on uh, late Ottoman documents, which essentially served as a, I mean, my argument that we can't prove it, but look like they served as a blueprint for the demolition of the uh, Mugrabi houses. So, in a sense, that idea of uh, getting rid of the neighborhood had been around for quite some time, for different reasons, but obviously uh, it was there. I want to ask you something. You mentioned um, a number of buildings already, but if you were to be a virtual travel guide now for us here at the podcast, and you would take people around Jerusalem, what would they see in terms of uh, Ayyubid legacy and where around Jerusalem? Well, Ayyubid uh, uh, architectural uh, legacy can be found uh, almost in every um, uh, corner or every uh, part uh, and quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, so if you want to start at the Haram al-Sharif, uh, uh, you would go into the Dome of the Rock, and um, you will find uh, there are various, of course, you have to know that. And if you are a, a learned and clever travel guide, you would read and you would actually point out to uh, your uh, uh, visitors, uh, uh, various uh, elements uh, that were added by Salah al-Din and their Ayyubids. And especially you can identify the inscriptions uh, from, you could see that the ancient or the original or the older inscription of the Dome of the Rock inside is an Umayyad, with, where that's during the time when the building was erected. Uh, it, they use the Kufic uh, angular uh, 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 writing, while the Naskhi, which is the cursive uh, writing, was started to be used from the Ayyubid uh, times uh, in, in Jerusalem. So you can differentiate between uh, early uh, Islamic inscriptions and Ayyubid and uh, later Mamluk and Ottoman uh, inscriptions. That's one thing. The second thing, if you go down further down and you look at the Aqsa Mosque, the whole facade of the Aqsa Mosque today is Ayyubid. Uh, in fact, uh, with the uh, various uh, uh, arches and the whole uh, porch in front of, uh, of the mosque, that is mainly Ayyubid. Of course, it was uh, embellished and rebuilt uh, uh, in the Mamluk uh, uh, times. Uh, but the main uh, uh, gate uh, and uh, the two arches on both sides uh, of uh, of the gate. Uh, in fact, it's the work of Al Muadda Maisa, the nephew of Salah al-Din. He built it uh, using um, quite a lot of crusader spolia. Uh, so you can see quite a lot of uh, crusader uh, architectural elements, but they are put and arranged in a way that, uh, it, it, in fact, it's uh, to make it uh, looking uh, very beautiful and aesthetic uh, uh, facade. And uh, there is no doubt about it, because in the middle of that, there is an inscription 
by al muadam Isa to say that he is the one who renews. And in Arabic, jaddada. Jaddada hadha al-bab al-mu'adham Isa. So there is actually, there are also other uh, inscriptions uh, by uh, the Mamluks to, uh, to add to the embellishment and the reconstruction of the facade. And uh, in the in the Haram al-Sharif, there are a number of buildings that they were built uh, uh, by uh, the Ayyubids. I can mention uh, three, Qubbat Suleiman, Solomon's uh, Dome, Qubbat uh, al-Miraj, the, the, uh, the Dome of the Ascension, and Qubbat Musa. Uh, also uh, built. So these are a number of small, smaller buildings, domed uh, structures built to commemorate uh, various uh, uh, events. The uh, ascension is the ascension of Muhammad uh, from the Dome of the Rock to heaven, which is, in fact, in a way, it's like the uh, you know the uh, ascension of Jesus uh, to uh, to heaven uh, on the Mount of Olives. There's Qubat Suleiman. Uh, whether it's Suleiman, uh, uh, a certain uh, figure called Suleiman, or King Solomon. Uh, so it is uh, amb- ambiguous. And also Qubbat Musa. Is it Musa, uh, uh, the Prophet Musa in Islam, or uh, another another figure? Uh, also the gates of the Haram uh, al-Sharif. Just, I don't want to uh, speak of uh, too many details, but one gate is the gate uh, uh, of the chain, uh, Bab al-Silsila, uh, which is entering the Haram al-Sharif uh, from uh, the west, uh, opposite uh, the Dome uh, of, of the Rock. And that is also built during the time of Salah al-Din with many um, uh, spoilia, I mean, spoilia of Crusader uh, architecture. Now, if you want to go to the old city itself, in the old city, one of the major buildings that Salah al-Din has actually built is as the Khanka al-Salahiyya, the Khanka of Salah al-Din. In fact, it, it used to be, uh, the building used to be the, the, the palace of the, La- the Latin patriarch uh, of, uh, of, of Jerusalem. And so he actually uh, uh, transferred and converted uh, the palace into a Khanka, which is a, uh, a form of institution for, for Sufis, uh, in, um, which is at the back of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. But the entrance into, into that uh, building is from the, uh, the alley of the Hankar, which goes up from uh, uh, the main uh, street of the old city, Khanizayt, up to the Christian uh, quarter. And there is a Beautiful building there with a beautiful facade built uh, uh, by by Salah al-Din, uh, and it's uh, in itself it was a, a, a very large institution with a large uh, endowments to support the existence of uh, uh, and the upkeep of this uh, Sufi institutions for uh, until modern time. In fact, continued until uh, modern time. And my favorite building, in fact, is. Uh, Madrasa al muazzamiya which is uh, it's a uh, it's a theological school, it's a, a school built by al muazzam Isa, the same uh, nephew of Salah al-Din, uh, not very far from uh, uh, the gate uh, of uh, uh, of al Asbat, the Lion's Gate, uh, coming to Jerusalem from the east, entering into the Via della Rosa, uh, passing uh, Saint Anne Church, which is the Crusader. Uh, uh, church now it is under the control of the French uh, uh, brothers uh, uh, or priests. You continue uh, a few hundred meters, and on your right you have this beautiful uh, building, but it's actually obscured from the main street of the Via Dolorosa. You go into inside uh, this little alley, and you go inside, and you find this most beautiful uh, in- internal courtyard with a very large uh, iwan, a vault, uh, with an inscription of Al-Mu'adham Isa. And there they taught uh, the uh, Hanafi rite of, uh, uh, of uh, Sunni Islam, one of the four uh, rites uh, and uh, 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 schools of, uh, of law of, uh, of Orthodox uh, Islam. And Al-Mu'adham Isa was 
quite he was known to be much more liberal uh, for uh, for him following uh, the Hanafi uh, 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 law of uh, of uh, orthodox uh, Islam, and so there are. Uh, 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 I mean, many other uh, uh, buildings in the old city. And finally, uh, the walls of Jerusalem. So if you come into, into um, let's say, from West Jerusalem into Jaffa Gate and you go, go down in the road and you see the remains of a very massive wall under the level of the Ottoman walls, uh, that is uh, probably being built uh, by, uh, by the Ayyubids. And then if you continue and follow the line of the city walls, uh, let's say from the south southwestern corner uh, all the way down to the Haram al-Sharif, you have a series of uh, almost, uh, I think, maybe six or seven uh, square towers. Uh, they were completely uh, uh, built uh, by al-Mu'adham Isa, again, uh, nephew of Salah al-Din in the early 13th. Uh, century. So there is uh, quite uh, uh, so much to see in the terms of the architectural fabric of the old city of Jerusalem. And in fact, that is why I say in my in my book, which I published on the Ayyubid uh, architecture of Jerusalem, that the Ayyubids have laid uh, the ground for uh, for uh, for urban uh, uh, fabric of uh, of Jerusalem and to re-Islamize the. Uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem after being uh, under uh, Crusader Frankish rule for uh, nearly 100 years. I have one more question. Is there anything that I didn't ask about the citadels of Yayubit, but that you would like to talk about? Well, in the citadel, I, uh, uh, I discovered uh, something new, which uh, I already published in my uh, article. And... Uh, I am also preparing a, uh, a monograph, a book on uh, the results of my work in the Citadel. Um, so I made a discovery uh, that the, the first Citadel of Jerusalem was not built by the Umayyads, as it was thought uh, by uh, first uh, the British archaeologist uh, C.N. Johns and the Israeli archaeologist, who thought that the Umayyads had built uh, the first uh, uh, Citadel in Jerusalem with a round tower. I placed uh, this uh, citadel um, actually uh, in the 11th century and it was built uh, by, by the Seljuks and I found uh, the architectural and archeological evidence in, in addition to historical evidence uh, that it was built uh, by uh, the Seljuks uh, at the second half of the 11th century. Um, but, uh, I would like to uh, actually um, uh, just uh, uh, maybe focus on my last point on the citadel, what is being done to the citadel today. Uh, the citadel today and uh, its uh, architectural and historical development is not represented uh, at the moment in the, the museum, which is uh, the so-called museum the uh, museum uh, of the, uh, the or the tower of david museum for the history of jerusalem uh, no uh, interpretation of uh, uh, of the monument uh, is uh, being made uh, in this museum and the muse the museum with uh, which is uh, uh, established within the spaces or within the uh, 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 inside the Holes and towers of the citadel, in fact, was uh, used to tell a completely different story of the building and of Jerusalem. A story it is that begins with the Israelite uh, 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 period and ends with the with Israel in modern modern time. It is completely and utterly uh, a biased uh, uh, history. Uh, that it shows that it is only a, a history that is always related to the to the Jewish people and to to the Bible, and completely disregarding uh, this multifaceted, uh, uh, long, uh, uh, um, uh, I would say, uh, culture uh, uh, in uh, in the uh, in the in the in the citadel, and it's. Uh, which is, uh, in, in a way, it's complete in violation of uh, any ethical 
uh, archaeological ethical uh, issue, uh, but also violating um, uh, all the uh, regulations that are set up by international organizations, including uh, the UNESCO. This was uh, Professor Mahmoud Awari, currently at Bethlehem University and author of Ayubi Jerusalem, 1187-1250, an architectural and archaeological study. Mahmoud, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks and I'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.